Good morning, Golden Corner Church. I'm glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Good, good. Almost a rowdy crowd. I like that. (laughs) This morning I'm going to preach the fifth sermon in a series entitled The Wow Factor. And after today, the series is going to change just a little bit. The series isn't ending, but it will turn ever so slightly in a different direction. So if you don't mind, I'd like to do a quick summary of what we've learned thus far. Are you okay with that? Okay. Six are and the rest of you are just going to have to endure the summary. You ready? Here's what we've learned. There are three lessons I want to make sure that you've gotten thus far. Lesson number one, our experience with God should include the wow factor. It should. And what is the wow factor? The wow factor is made up of those wow moments that we experience as the direct result of the the activity of God in our life. When our lives are characterized by the wow factor, God often does things for us or through us that amaze us or wow us. Sometimes these wow moments are very subtle. God speaks to us, and his voice is so clear that it just takes our breath away for a moment. Sometimes he reveals his presence to us, and it's just so real that maybe we're overcome with emotion. Sometimes he shares his peace with us, and we're in situations where we ought to be worrying, but we're not And we're just kind of amazed by it. Sometimes these wow moments are much more spectacular. God opens a door of opportunity to us that nobody else could have opened. Or he he heals us or he heals someone we love. Maybe he restores a marriage that was all but over. Maybe he uses us to make a real lasting difference in someone else's life. It could be that that he just obviously, miraculously answers one of our prayers in a spectacular fashion that wows us. And right after Lynn and I were married, I was working at a factory in Pickens. My supervisor's name was Ed. I don't know a Christian way to say this, so I'll just say it, okay? Ed was a jerk. He was a real jerk, and for some reason, he just singled me out and felt like his mission in life was to make my life miserable. And it just came to the point that I dreaded going to work. And so I began to pray, God, will you move Ed or move me? I really don't care which one it is. And day after day, Mike, I prayed, God, will you move Ed or will you move me? Week after week, month after month, God, will you move Ed or move me? I showed up for work one morning and Ed's not there. My department head came to me and he said, uh, I, need a, I need you in my office. I want to explain something to you. He said, uh, Ed quit yesterday. He said, he's moving to the state of Louisiana to work on the oil rigs. You're our new supervisor. Congratulations on the promotion. Now, I walk out of the office and I look at the sky. What do you think I'm thinking? What do you think I said? Wow, man. <laughs> Thank you, God. Lesson one, our experience with God should include those wow moments. Lesson number two, the wow factor can be lost. Those of us who know God can lose the wow factor 
and settle into very natural, explainable, ordinary lives. A perfect biblical example of this was a guy named Samson, whose story is found in the Old Testament book of Judges. The first portion of his wife life was just a literal illustration of what the wow factor is. And then there came a point in his life where he lost it. And the Bible even says of him, he became like any ordinary, run-of-the-mill, average person. Lesson number three, I want to make sure you got this. The wow factor can be recovered. How? This is a lesson we've looked at repeatedly over the past four weeks. It just keeps coming up. People who pray are wowed by God. Specifically, we have learned that experiencing the wow factor requires that we pray sincerely, that we pray often, that we pray for others, and at some point we pray together. Before we get to today's sermon, I want to encourage you to do two things. Number one, if you've missed any of these sermons, would you go to our website or would you go to the podcast and catch up? And the reason I'm encouraging you to do this is I know that these sermons are of critical importance to your life, your family, this church, and I believe in time we'll see to our entire community. The second thing I want to encourage you to do If you haven't put these sermons into practice yet, please do so. Some of you have, and I think the the results have been amazing. I get multiple texts every week, emails, voicemails, people pulling me aside saying, Ronnie, I just got to tell you about a wow moment that we experienced this week. Hey, I see it on Facebook. That's right. You won't find me on Facebook, but I can find you on Facebook. You remember, I'm watching And I'm reading about people talking about these wow moments. God is just becoming increasingly more active at Golden Corner Church. And we're being wowed by God because you're acting on the things you're learning. However, I also know that I'm speaking to some. And you haven't acted on these sermons yet. Now, you've listened every Sunday with the intention that, yes, I'm going to do that. But you haven't started Yet, and I want to encourage you, please don't procrastinate any longer. And here's why. The further we go down the road, the more likely we are to forget all of this and never put it into practice. And so I want, you to, I want you to act on the things you're learning. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Stop going through the motions, just going through the motions when you pray and start really talking to God when you pray. Pray sincerely. Be intentional and be spontaneous in prayer so that you are praying often. Identify the circles of people in your world that are counting on your prayers and pray for others. And and for those of you who are married, pray with your spouse. I don't know how many people tell me, you know, my husband and I have prayed together for the first time in our marriage and what a, a blessing it was. Well, keep that up. If you've got a family, pray with your family. If you're in a life group, pray with your group. Pray together. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Will you give me your word that you'll do those two things? Okay, that was three. I've got to have more than that before I can go to the next sermon. You ready? How many are you going to? Give me your word you're going to do that. Good. Now let's go to the next sermon. In just a minute, we're going to read a few verses from Joshua chapter 10. Before we do, let me set the stage. 
We're going to be talking about the nation of Israel at a point in their history that was really good for them. They had been delivered from 400 years of bondage in Egypt. That's over. They've just finished wandering in a wilderness for 40 years. Thank God that was over. And they have actually entered into this beautiful, fruitful land that God was giving to them. Now, there was a hitch. The land was inhabited by fierce people who, for the most part, lived in fortified cities. And so the Israelites, in order to inhabit this land, had to, first of all, drive these people out. Now, you may think that was unfair. The problem was this land always belonged to Israel, and these people had settled there in their absence. So now they've got to be driven out. The Israelites are doing this one city, one village at a time. They've already overthrown the heavily fortified city of Jericho. They've already overthrown the feisty, difficult little village of Ai. And word is beginning to spread throughout the rest of the land about these Israelites. Now, apparently, next on the list was a city called Gibeon. It was a large city. And its men were famous for their fighting ability. The leaders of Gibeon met together and came to this decision, we're not going to fight them. I mean, it's it's a guaranteed loss if we try. So they came up with a clever idea of tricking the Israelites into signing a peace treaty with them, and they did. Well, there were others, others in this land who heard of the Israelites who were equally afraid, but they weren't going to go down without a fight. They were not going to surrender, but this is what they knew. If we try to fight them by ourselves... We're done. It's a, it's a lost cause. So they came together, five kings, five armies, merged together to form one army and said, perhaps together we can defeat these people. Now, the first course of action for them was attack Gibeon. You know why? They were mad at the Gibeonites. They were mad that the Gibeonites had just rolled over. You know, they could have been a part of this alliance. They could have helped them out greatly. They didn't. So they said, here's what we're going to do. Cream them first. And so they launched this mass invasion of Gibeon. Messengers from Gibeon were able to escape, get to Joshua, and tell him what was going on. And this is what they said. Dude, we are your responsibility. You signed a peace treaty accepting responsibility for us, and now we're in trouble. You've got to put your armies together, and you've got to come help us. And they were right. So Joshua did that. Put together the entire army of Israel. They began to march at night. They marched all night long. At daybreak, they got to Gibeon, and they surprised this massive army. Listen, this this must have been hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Joshua and his men caught them off guard. The Bible says that God also helped them. He threw that big army into a state of panic, making it easier for the Israelite soldiers to kill these men. And so the Israelites literally slaughtered tens of thousands of them. Well, when this army, this alliance, saw that momentum is with the Israelites, they tucked tail and began to run. They were trying to get away. And the Bible says God then did something else. He sent this incredible hailstorm with what must have been unbelievable-sized hailstones. And as they were coming down and striking these men, they were killing them. And the Bible says there were more men killed in the hailstorm than they were killed by the swords of the Israelites. And on this day when God was clearly fighting for Israel, 
we read about something, it's just absolutely so unbelievable, you got to read it with me, okay? Joshua chapter 10, verse number 12, look at this. On the day the Lord that gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed. You see that? Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. So he's praying out loud. People are listening. What does he pray? He says, God, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Agilon. Now, from what I read this week, this is what was happening. As these men are fleeing from Joshua and his army, Joshua must have looked at his watch. And he realizes, I don't have enough time in the day to finish this battle. And if darkness falls, these men could get back to their fortified cities and I'll never be able to finish the battle. So what I need is I need more time. And so he prayed to God and this is what he was praying. I don't want the sun to set today at its regular time. So God, here's what I'm asking. Extend the daylight hours for us. Now, i got to be honest with you. If I'm thinking that, I ain't praying that out loud in front of somebody else. He did. I want you to look what happened. Verse number 13. So the sun stood still, and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Now, you and I know what happened. We know what God did. God slowed, slowed the rotation of the earth so that sunset came much later. You know why he did that? One man asked him to. Now, I've always felt sorry for these workers working out in the field who perhaps said, boss, man, how late we working out? Work until sundown. Can't you imagine them sitting there talking, is this not the longest day we've ever lived? And look what he says next. So God did this, and it says, in, is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? You say, what is Jasher? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. It is a collection of songs and poems written in order to preserve the historical record of Israel's military exploits. It's a literal book. It's referred to at least one other place in the Bible. As a matter of fact, once it's even quoted in the Bible. You know what Joshua would say? Joshua, when he's writing this book, you know what he's thinking? The day that old Mark Hinton reads that, I know what he's going to think. That's ridiculous. That couldn't happen. You know what Joshua's saying? It's written in the book. It was written in the historical records. This is documented fact. This happened. He said, the sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There's never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now, what do we learn in this little story? I think it's a recurring theme. People who pray are wowed by God. And when this happened, do you think Joshua was wowed? I got to tell you, I'd have been wowed. When I look at the watch and it's, you know, the Weather Channel is saying sunset 601. 
and it's 7 o'clock, and it's broad daylight. It's 8 o'clock. It's broad daylight. It's 9.30. It's broad. You know what I'm thinking, Kevin? I'm going, wow, he, he's doing this. If I'm the people who listen to Joshua pray that prayer, and I'm watching the sky, and I'm, watch, I'm going, you know, man, wow. So people who pray are wowed by God, but I believe there's a more specific lesson here that I want to make sure that you get, and that is that people who pray big are wowed by God. Joshua asked God to make time stand still. That's big. Where in the world would that idea come from? Joshua clearly recognized, I've got a big need here, but he also recognized, I have immediate access to a big God, a God of unlimited resources and power. So he prayed big. People in the Bible were a lot like us, and I feel like they often faced great needs. Just like us, there were times that they faced battles they couldn't possibly win or they encountered problems they could have never solved or they were faced with a challenge they couldn't possibly meet within their own resources and abilities. However, I think we may differ from the people in the Bible in how we respond to our needs. I'm afraid that when we face an unwinnable battle, we just raise the white flag and concede defeat. We face a problem we can't solve. We just try to ignore that problem in the hopes it'll go away or somehow it'll just take care of itself. We face a challenge that exceeds our abilities. We shrink back from the challenge. Not even going to try. What do the people in the Bible do? Well, they prayed. And they prayed big. Now, lest you think this is a, this Josh was just the odd man out, maybe a little bit crazy. Look through the Bible, this appears to be a pattern. Just just a handful of examples. In the Old Testament, we find a story of a lady named Hannah. She was barren, physically impossible for her to bear kids. She's getting deep into her life. She has her prayer time. She gets on her knees before God, and she asks him for something. You know what she asked for? A son. In spite of the fact that she, she knows it's impossible for me to have kids. She said, I know that, but I'm asking you for a son, God. We've already talked about Elijah and his protege, Elisha. Both of them had friends whose children died. And in both cases, neither man felt compelled to pray for the grieving mother. Who'd they pray for? The dead child. And prayed that God would resurrect those children. That's pretty big. That's big, that's big praying. You come to the New Testament, you got an aged priest named Zechariah. He's, I mean, I'm telling you, this dude is months away from drawing Social Security. His wife is aged. She's beyond the age of childbearing, and she's been barren her entire life. And one day while he's ministering in the temple, he, he prays, and he said, God, you know what I want? I want a son. I know how old I am. I know how old she is. And I know her physical condition. I'm asking you for a boy. And that's praying. That's praying big. And and you got the example of, of a guy named Peter who was sitting in the middle of a boat one night on the sea. He's in the midst of a fierce storm, fiercest storm I'd ever seen. He's an experienced sailor. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking up to the boat, walking up on water. And, and here these guys are in this desperate, frightening situation, and Peter makes a request of Jesus. What do you think he's asking for? You, you, I mean, just naturally, I'm assuming Peter would say, get us out of this mess. You know, calm this storm, do something. Peter says, hey, you know what I'd like? I want you to help me do what you're doing. I want to walk on the water too. That's so big, that's crazy. I guarantee the other 11 guys were thinking, Peter's lost his mind out here in the middle of this storm. When facing a big need, people in the Bible made big requests of God. Why? They knew that when they were praying, they were talking with a God who was bigger than their enemies, bigger than their problems, bigger than their crises. Bigger than their challenges. Therefore, they didn't hesitate to make big requests of God. And as a result, people in the Bible were often wowed by God. Hannah not only ended up with son, she ended up being the mother of seven children. Wow! Elijah and Elisha both saw God resurrect a child from the dead and were there at that moving moment when that child was reconciled with a broken-hearted mom. Zachariah and Elizabeth, oh yeah, they had a boy, and you probably recognize his name, John, John the Baptist. And old Peter, he took himself a little stroll right across the surface of the Sea of Galilee. He did what no man had ever done and hasn't done since. God wowed them all. That's the way it works. People who pray big are wowed by God. So here's what I'm suggesting. Let's start praying big. When we pray big, the size of our prayer requests will be in proportion to the size of our God. And our God is a big God. How big? There's nothing impossible with Him. You ever thought about this? There's nothing even challenging to our God. I mean, God's never called his son over to him in heaven and said, Jesus, come over here just a minute. Come over here. See if you can get, get a few angels to gather around. We've got to go into consultation. Hodge has asked us for something today, and I'm kind of stumped. I don't know what to do here. That's never happened. The New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, that our God can do infinitely more than any request that comes out of our mouth, infinitely more than we can even imagine. That's how big he is. When we pray, we're talking to a God who's not only able, but also willing to do big things for us. I want you to, I want you to think about something. What battle are you currently facing? What problem or crisis has arisen in your life? What challenge have you been dealt Do you want to see God move? Do you want, to do him, you want to see him do something really big? Then pray big. Don't be afraid to ask God for big things. January of last year, I felt like God challenged me to pray bigger than I pray. 
I mean, I get a scratchy throat. I'm like, God, help me with this sore throat. I felt like God was saying, what is that? I mean, is that, you think that's a challenge for me to help me with a sore throat? God, I'm in the Walmart parking lot. Can you help me get a parking space a little closer to the front door? God, I feel like God's going, really? That's, what, that's the best you got, Hodge? I mean, that's what you want me to do? I felt like he was telling me, Ronnie, pray some big stuff. Sit here and think of some things that you would love to see happen that are so big that to say them out loud would even sound ridiculous. Start making it. I started writing things down. And I felt like he kind of pointed out, okay, this one. Put this one on the list. Put, put this one over here. This is what he told me. Pray for those things. You pray for those things relentlessly. You pray for those things until I tell you otherwise. Pray. Man, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I look back over last year. I've never had a year when God so wowed me in response to praying. He, he did some things for me that, that even this week I found myself walking around awestruck saying to God, I still can't believe that you did that. So, December, I sit down with a new list, and, you know, God's saying, what are these ridiculously big things that you like? And I start writing out my list, and he's kind of like, okay, that's one, put it on, that was one. Well, one of them was this. I felt like God said, you ought to pray that, I, that you guys could pray, pay your car off this year. Now, listen, we just bought the car in 2015, and we did like most people. We financed it for five years. I felt like God said, you ought to pray that you guys could pay this thing off this year. So okay, put that on the list, begin praying. So we began, we, we got these two little accounts we started funneling some money into. This morning, I just happened to think about it. Kind of wondered, where we at? It's only February the 7th. And some of you are thinking, is he about to tell us that they've paid that car off? No, but with your generous donations... I sat down, I looked at what the payoff was, and I totaled up what we had in those two accounts. And guess what? We got 75% of what we need to pay the car off in February. So I was already, I already had my jacket on, the car was warming up. I go into the bedroom, Lynn's in the shower, and I just sat down on the bed. She comes walking out, she goes, what are you doing? I said, We've been praying that God would help us pay this car off this year. Do you know where we're at on that? She's like, no. I said, we're 75% there. You know what she said? No. She said, that can't be right. (laughs) She doubted my mathematical ability. So I said, here's the payoff. Here's what we got. You calculate it. That's 75% of that. Then she said... That's right. Wow. What big, bold, miraculous move do you want God to make on your behalf? Or perhaps someone else's behalf. I want you to think about it. We got time. If you could ask God for one 
big thing to happen in your life or in someone else's life, what would it be? Now, don't limit the size of your request by your natural thinking or past experiences. Don't do that. You're talking to an unlimited God here. What is it? Whatever it is, here's what I want you to do. Ask God for it. From this point on, let's pray big prayers. Because people who pray big are wowed by God. Let's pray together. Even though there's a lot of other people in this room God is with you. He is right there with you right now. And I believe that he's extending an invitation to you and inviting you to ask him for something big. wouldn't feel right. You know, listen. It's what he wants. Ask him. I just don't know if he'd ever do that for me. Listen, you never know what you ask. Ask him. You got a friend really going through something? You want to see something big happen in their life? Ask him. Huge obstacle. You got to overcome. Ask him to help you. Ask him to, to remove it, to deal with it. Huge need, ask him. available to you right now and for listening and maybe a really good way to finish this prayer is by saying may your will be done amen pray big Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your patience. I pray that you have a great week. You're dismissed.